Father, we look to you this morning. We recognize your presence here with us, that we are here because of what you have done, uh, what you have done in, in our lives to bring us to yourself. So I just pray that uh, amidst the different seasons, seasons and stages of life in this room, the different circumstances, the highs and the lows, we recognize that you meet each of us. And so we ask that your spirit would be present to reveal to us our need of you in a new and a fresh way. Help us to be a people who loves you above all things, who lives our life in light of what has, has been given to us in the gospel. So I pray that you take this morning as we think about our church, what our, what our vision is, what we believe we're called to, and let us stir afresh with just a passion to follow you wherever you would lead us. And I pray that you would take the crossing, this community, and do amazing things, not because we're a great people, but because you're a great God. So we look to you and ask for your name to be exalted in our midst this morning and for your spirit to continue to move in our midst. And we ask in the name, the only name through which we can come before your presence, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you all this morning, uh, what is in your mind the, your most, the most memorable tagline that you can think of? You think of a tagline or a slogan, you know, kind of those little statements that are attached to a, a brand or a, a logo that tries to communicate in simple yet very clear terms some, some deep value or, or a commitment or ideal. You know, maybe what comes to mind first is Nike. What is it? Just do it. Or we could go with uh, Dunkin' Donuts. America runs on Dunkin', which if that's true, that might be the biggest problem of our nation. Apple calls us to think different. Well, churches will oftentimes have a little tagline as well. And I looked up a few different taglines for churches, and a few that I found were this. One of them said, uh, imagine your life changed. The journey matters. Your place to thrive. One that I thought was a little clever was uh, one that said, centrally located, centered on Christ. Another one had, a place to believe, belong, and become. They're, they're good things. Um, we also have a tagline here at The Crossing, in case you didn't know it. It's on our logo. The Crossing. Love, live, legacy. Sounds good, right? It's awesome. Great little catchy tagline. But what does it mean? Why are those words on there? Because we desire for our church to not merely just, just have this logo with three little words attached to it. But we desire for these things to be the very heartbeat of who we are as a people. And so uh, today, we're going to approach things just a little bit differently. 99% of the time here at The Crossing, we're going to be preaching through books of the Bible. We're going to be open up and exposing the, the Word of God. It's a deep conviction that we have. So just for today, we're doing things just a little bit different. As we kind of launch into fall, which for, for many is kind of a, a new season, you know, after summer break and into the, 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 the rhythm of school season and whatnot... We just want to kind of take a couple weeks, as Aaron highlighted last week from Hebrews chapter 10, just this value of community. We want to just take a couple weeks just to reiterate and highlight who we are and what we're about as a church. And so today, just for today, we're not really going to be preaching through a passage, but we're just going to be kind of unpacking these things for us. And as I thought about bringing and teaching on these things, I thought, what better way to kind of highlight these things than to actually hear from people in this body who have, have begun to learn and embody and, and grow in these things, not perfectly, but in some ways. So today, I'm going I'm to kind of 
try to briefly unpack each of these values for us. Then I'm also going to have three different people, actually four, one couple and a couple individuals, come up and just share their perspective of how they've been shaped into some of these values and these commitments. This is something that we just don't want to be us as pastors shouting and talking about, but we want this to be embodied throughout our church. So today's going to be a little different with, with me sharing from our heart as pastors and then also hearing from different people through some three different testimonies this morning, which might sound like a lot, but I'm going to try to do my best to stay on point here and uh, walk us through this. As many of you know, our mission statement at The Crossing is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His people. And we see that then being lived out and fleshed out in these three rhythms, these three passions of love, live, legacy. So we want to walk through these things today. First of all, love. When you hear the word love, what comes to mind? You know, love is a word that can mean a lot of different things, right? It can, it can be a word that has a depth and a weight to it, such as that first time when maybe a man tells a woman, I love you. Not easily thrown out there, a big weighty moment in a relationship. But love can also be just a simple word that's thrown on to an empty marketing phrase, right? Like McDonald's. I'm loving it. (laughs) I don't know what we're loving. It's certainly not the feeling that you have after eating at McDonald's. (laughs) Or then it's, you know, maybe Subaru. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Which I'm, I'm glad to know that now, because this whole time I thought what made a Subaru a Subaru was the overpriced hype that goes into those cars. <laughs> but if you're a Subaru person, that's for you. Anyway. But as we say, as a, as a church, that we are about love, that love is our first passion, what do we mean? Because to say you're about love is about the most neutral thing that you could say, right? Like, who isn't, who, who's against love? Oh, you're for love. That's great. It's like saying I like puppies. It's like, oh, great, awesome, great. What does it mean? And as we say that our first passion is love, we're looking at the way that love is unpacked in the Scriptures, the love that we are called to as a people. The first command to love that's found in Scripture is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, commonly known as the Shema, often regularly daily cited throughout the nation of Israel, for their people. And we read where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And as we looked at this summer, through the teachings of Jesus, we see Him taking this foundational command to Israel, and He picks it up and says that all of the law All that we're called to be and to do is fulfilled in this one ultimate call to love God. So when we say that we are a church about love, first of all, it means that we love God above all. It means that we believe, we truly believe that there is one God who has created this world, who has created us in His image That this God rules sovereignly over all things, and He calls us to love Him, not because He has low self-esteem or because He needs us to kind of make Him feel better, but because He is good, because He first and foremost is loving, and He knows that the greatest joy that we can find 
as those who are created in His likeness, is to enjoy and to love Him forever. So the question then becomes, why should we love this God? And it's the follower, the disciple, John, who tells us in his little letter of 1 John, that says, we love because He first loved us. Our love for God is not one-sided, but is, is He has drawn us first and foremost to behold Him as altogether lovely in the way that He has first poured out His love upon us and chosen to love us. John also says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation can be a, a difficult word, but it, it's, it's speaking of, of that which, which takes the place, which is the, is the, the means of, of atonement for our sins. As we were a people that, that stood alienated from God, separated from God because of sin in our lives, God took it upon Himself to make a payment for that sin through His Son. That His Son died in our place so that we could be brought back into relationship with God. It's the heart of the gospel, the substitutionary work of Jesus. And John says that is what displays God's love for us. Paul says in Romans that God shows His love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So the only way that we can truly love God is if we are first and foremost captivated by His love for us. And how do we grow in that? We continually look to the gospel, the gospel that declares for us the unending, never-failing love of God. And that's why for us, it is our regular commitment to preach the gospel regularly, faithfully here at this church. We cannot move past the gospel, but we have to be a people who continually grows deeper into this gospel. And if you feel your love for God wavering, you feel a, a doubt of God's love, the answer is not the latest Christian book, the next dynamic spiritual leader, but it's ultimately rooted in a work of God through His Spirit to cultivate in our hearts a love for Him as we behold God in the gospel, as we look to Jesus faithfully week in and week out, remind ourselves and remind each other of the gospel that has saved us. And that love then that we have experienced as we are captivated by God's love, we are called to then let that love flow out in our love for others and for each other. John goes on and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In this whole passage, John is really unpacking, how, how do you know that you, that you, you actually love God? And he, he roots it in the way that we love each other, the way that we love. It was Jesus who said, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. John says, if anyone loves, says that I love God... If you say, oh, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
So when we say that we are committed to love, we are not speaking of some kind of sentimental feeling of approval or acceptance of everyone and everything, but we are speaking of a deep and abiding love that God has first and foremost poured out on us that captivates our hearts and calls us to live lives that are sold out for Jesus and for His gospel that has so radically changed our lives. And that's what we mean when we say that love is our first passion. So I'm going to invite Jordana Annenson up here right now. I know she's a little nervous. She told me that. And I said, that's totally fine. I just want you to be you. And I just want uh, Jordana to come up and just share how God has shaped her. I've uh, had the privilege of being in a life group with the Annensons for a while and just see the, their life uh, together, their family, and just uh, the love that God has shaped them over the years, the challenges they've been through. So uh, I'm just going to have Jordana share a little bit about that story with you. So I know I'm supposed to look out, but I'm going to read because I think that's going to keep me more grounded. Okay. My life is a story of my failing and God's faithful love. I didn't grow up knowing the gospel of Jesus. I'd been exposed to him as a historical figure, but nothing more. My value was wrapped up in whether or not I thought people loved me. I lived my life looking out for myself at the expense of others. It was a sad, lonely road to walk. The summer after high school, God broke into my life, and I confessed faith in Jesus Christ. At this point, I was convinced that I needed Jesus to save me from my sins, but I had only received a partial gospel. I switched from living a worldly life to trying to be the perfect Christian. But little in my heart had changed. Functionally, I was still trying to get my needs met from people and not Jesus. I performed as a good Christian so that people would love me and accept me. I couldn't see that my self-seeking service to others was really no service at all, but me trying to be the center of my world. But God was still seeking me, slowly and gently moving in my life, knowing how truly fragile I was. He's a good father. God continued to work in my life to reveal the truth of himself more and more. I met Chad and we married. God used Chad faithfully to um, show me grace and forgiveness, even though in my pride I didn't think that I needed it. A couple years after getting married, God, in his great mercy, called us to Portland, which holds a very special place in my heart. It was the first place that I heard the full gospel, the gospel that we need every day, not just at the point of conversion. I also experienced my first true gospel community, where God's people loved and served each other in grace. Both were life-changing. Then, a few years later, God called us back to Fort Collins. I was sad to leave my community and the place where I had first truly found Jesus, but God knew just what we needed, and that was in Fort Collins. The next few years were challenging. I had the truth of the gospel. I needed Jesus, and I knew he was the only way to be made right with the Father. But could I trust God in all of my daily struggles of life? I'd spent all of my life looking out for myself. People I loved failed me. If I couldn't truly trust the people in my life to be there for me, then why would God be any different? I struggled to figure out if the Bible was actually God's inspired word, whether it was trustworthy. And God gently carried me through each question and each doubt. And he surrounded me with community that loved me, even though loving me often felt like trying to hug a porcupine. 
I was still trying to earn people's love, discouraged when I didn't feel like they loved me as much as I tried to love them. My focus was still in the wrong spot. I knew Jesus was a source of love and life, but I was looking to myself and others for my identity, not Jesus. Beautiful beginnings sometimes come with painful endings. The home church that we had been a part of ended, and after a long searching, we found the crossing. Jess Gardner was the first person that I met at the crossing, and she gave me a powerful piece of truth. She said that I should focus on loving others at the crossing and not wait for people to come to me. God had worked over 14 years on my heart to get me to this point, and he is perfect in his timing. I began the journey of trying to love others and not worry about getting anything else in return. This was deeply challenging for me because I struggled to trust that God would provide what I needed as I poured myself out for his glory. It didn't always feel worth it. Sometimes it hurt, and it was often scary. But God was shifting my heart to trust that my value is found only in Him. I matter because He says that I do. So now I'm in the process of dying to myself. It seems counterintuitive. I don't fully understand the mystery of God's love, but I have seen the truth of it in my life. There is joy in not thinking about myself. There is joy in loving and serving others sacrificially. And there are so many moments of blessing as I see God working through me. I am so humbled and thankful that the creator of the universe chose to be glorified through me. I press on, pursuing God's glory, because it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. By God's grace alone, I will continue to love and serve others well, and I will be blessed and he will be glorified. Thank you, Jordana. What a great testament just to the lifelong pursuit. We don't change and grow overnight, but it's a process that God is working in all of us to get us to see Him as as altogether lovely. And I loved how she ended that, where she ultimately said that when we're secure in God's love for us, and our love is rightly directed towards Him, then we actually have then freedom to express love to others. That we're not looking for for something in return from, from everybody else but we're freed to love others because we first and foremost know that we are loved and secure in God's love. So I guess the question for us on this point is simply, do we believe with wholehearted commitment that being dedicated to God and His love for us is more important than any other thing or person in our lives? Do we know that nothing in life will ever matter unless it's giving ourselves fully from a love of God and a love for the people that He's made? So the challenge for all of us is how to, to, to renew that love of God in our own hearts and our lives. It starts with, with coming back to the Word again to remind ourselves of the gospel. It's why we need each other. It's why we need the gathering of God's people regularly to be reminded of these truths. So love is our first passion, something we never want to let go of because everything else that we do, everything else that we're committed to has to flow first and foremost from this first area, our right Upward vertical relationship, as Aaron often says, has to be right and cultivated first if it's going to flow into our horizontal relationships with others. And our second commitment then is to live. 
We say it's to live in gospel community. Community is another one of those words that gets thrown around a lot, right? We got community all over the place, community in general. We got, you know, very specific types of communities. Um, There's even a community within this church, some guys that get together and play Dungeons and Dragons sometimes. They've been trying to get me to join them, and I say I will not be a part of that. (laughs) You all know who you are. But, but as we think of gospel community and this commitment to live together, what, what do we mean by that? First and foremost, this is rooted in the realization that throughout the Bible, God is not merely about saving individuals, but He is about gathering a people. We see throughout the Old Testament as we've been walking through Genesis in the past year that this covenant that God made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, that what He's doing is He's creating a people. And in the New Testament, we see the formation of the church. And as as this church comes together, this is the new covenant people of God. The church is not merely something then that we choose to kind of connect ourselves with, but it's something that when we are saved, we are brought into. And we are united to others through our union with Christ. We are saved into a community. We see this clearly in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, I love how it describes just the the formation and birth of the church. As Peter stands up and proclaims the the glories of the gospel and what Jesus has done, it says that that the people who heard it were cut to their heart. And they asked Peter and the rest and said, said, men, what should we do? They said, repent and believe in the gospel. Be baptized and be saved. And it says that those who who received this word, they were baptized, they were added to to this church this group, this church was, was birthed. And then it goes on to describe what they began to do. It says that they devoted themselves regularly to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. And as we think of this passage, oftentimes we kind of use it as kind of this checkpoint list of things that, that we're supposed to be doing as a church, right? We're supposed to be teaching and, and praying and, and, you know, fellowship stuff together. But what, but Acts isn't, in, isn't necessarily laying that out. It's describing what they did. The other church didn't have a list of things that said, okay, now we're a church. We got to do these things. Those things that he's describing were born out of this radical transformation that just happened in their lives. It was this natural response. They didn't say, okay, now I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm great. Now I can go back to my life and do my thing. I'm glad that I have that. No, they realized that something radically had changed, that they had been united and connected together with a people. This, this, this thousands of people who said, I'm following Jesus. I'm connected to them now. And it began to just flow out naturally in how they lived together. It says they had all things in common. They began to share what they had to live together. It wasn't just church in a box. It was, it was the natural result of life lived in response to the gospel that united them to a community. So the question for us is, do you view your spiritual life as merely a personal thing? Or do you believe that you belong to a community of people that God has redeemed you into. This is this great spiritual reality of kind of God's universal church. And if you you question that, read Romans chapter 12. But we also believe that God calls us to make that spiritual reality tangibly visible as we connect and live out our united identity in the context of a local church. And so if this is the place that you feel like God has you to be, you know, we don't do everything right. There's, there's some great churches in this city that, that we want to support and be behind. But, but there's something unique happening here. And if this is the place that you feel like God has connected you with, 
if you want to learn more about that, again, that's why we have the belong class. What it means for us to be a people who's making this spiritual reality that we are brought into tangibly visible in this world as an outpost of God's kingdom here in Fort Collins. And then for us as a church here, the way that we believe that this is most faithfully lived out is in the context of even smaller groups. There's limitations of of what can happen in terms of community and living this out in, in a large group level. And so we have these life groups that we've created as we see this, this foundational pillar of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to be as a church. We have a number of life group leaders spread throughout here. And, and what they're doing is not merely hosting weekly gatherings at their houses, but they're leading and directing a community of, of believers to grow in their understanding of the gospel to get to know each other, a place to be known and to know each other, a place to then live on mission in our, in our community. They're not merely just one-off gatherings, but it's a people that we're connecting to, that we're living life together with. And after the gathering, if, you, if you're, you've been here and you just haven't been able to connect to a life group, our life group leaders, we've invited, asked them to maybe just to stay after the gathering a little bit up here um, to, to, for you to talk to. Maybe come up and meet some of them, say, hey, tell me a little bit about your group and, and what are the dynamics there? We'd encourage you to get connected with a life group. And I also just want to say that we are under no delusions here as leaders that uh, our life groups are the perfect representation of gospel community. Like maybe you've been here, and and I know probably many are are kind of maybe struggling with community and what that looks like, and maybe you've been in different life groups, and maybe you've even a little disillusioned with with life group or what, what that looks like, and let me just say, if you're sitting around waiting for the perfect community, waiting for the perfect thing to, 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 to find that, then I should probably tell you, you might just want to sit back and wait for heaven. Because this, this side of eternity, it's going to be broken. We're going to have messiness in our relationships and our things. But we have hope. We can have hope that through the Spirit at work in our lives and through the gospel as we grow into that, that our group, life groups, our church, our communities can begin to reflect in small ways the beautiful values of God's kingdom, even if it's in just a mere foretaste of what God will bring one day. And our desire for our life groups and for the community in this church is to be and reflect what Paul told the church in Thessalonica when he said that they desire, desired to share not only the gospel with them, but their very selves their own lives. So at this time, I'm going to invite Chad and Audrey Barlow to come up and just share with you. They've only been here a short time, but they've been so impacted and shaped and, and, and encouraged by the community that has received them, that, is, that has challenged them. And so I'm going to give them just a, a brief moment to share their perspective of how they've been shaped by that. I might need to turn it on. It's the on button. There it is. We got it. Thanks, Rich. Hey, I'm Chad. This is my wife, Audrey. Like you said, we've, we've only been going here for seven or eight months. And I just, in these moments of you preaching, Rich, I've just been overwhelmed with thankfulness for all of you and especially our life group. Um, I want to talk about how well you've loved us, but I don't want to steal her thunder because that's what she's going to talk about. So um, I just want to highlight two things about being in life group here, um, spiritual formation and mission. Um, we've loved Life Group and have grown a lot because we have a place where we can go um, every Thursday night and just be um, formed into more Christ-likeness. 
Um, one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 27:17. as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we go to be encouraged, to be open and vulnerable, to, to know each other and to be known, to, to grow in our gospel centrality, our gospel focus, our love for the gospel. And that's something that is, uh, you guys and our life group has really impacted us because um, we were kind of of the paradigm that the gospel's um, for new believers, and, and it, we've learned so much through you all and through our life group that the gospel is for us for every minute of every day, and that has just formed us in big ways. We've grown a lot spiritually, and then the other side of the coin is mission. So the other paradigm shift we've had um, so much because of this whole body and our life group is that we're on mission together. We don't have to feel like you're just alone. It's just up to you to like save that person at your workplace or that family member, but to invite our unbelieving friends and family into community. So we have scatter nights where it's not so intimidating for unbelievers. We're not going to dive deep into the word and talk about the original Hebrew and Greek, but we're going to go to Warren Park and we're going to play spike ball or we're going to play volleyball and bring your friends and invite them into community. And and like the word says, they'll know that we're Christians by the way we love each other. It's not always the perfect way we love them, which we're trying to, but just the way that they see Audrey and I hang out with Smitty and Michelle. And so we've been really thankful for that too. Yeah, I totally agree with everything Chad said, but what has impacted me most, um, some of you don't know our full story and you can talk to us later, but we transitioned from another church here in town about six or seven months ago, and if you know my husband, which you probably already do know him better, because he makes friends with strangers in grocery stores, he just doesn't know a stranger. I am not that way, and so I, I do want to say many of you have loved me well um, on the Sunday gathering, but it's impossible for us all to love each other well here in the short amount of time, so our life group has truly come along, Chad and I, in this transition season, and just made us feel really loved, me in particular. So I just thank you for that. And um, kind of what Rich said, like what it means to love well seems vague and ambiguous. And so I wanted to go to the Word to just explain how I feel like our life group does that love us well. Um, I'm in First Peter, and the Apostle Peter is just explaining kind of what we should do in the light of the gospel and how we should live, and how we should steward the grace that has been shown to us so well. First um, Peter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so just want to encourage you all, like Rich said, if you haven't joined a life group, to plug into one, because not only will you gain from being a part of that more intimate community, but you'll be able to be used, um, use your giftings to strengthen the body and ultimately glorify Christ. You can join our life group. This is your formal invitation. (laughs) Love you all. Awesome. Thank you, guys. It's been an encouragement to see you guys just jump right in, get involved, to be loved, and to love others. And uh, on this point, I just want to ask one question for all of us. I think it was a shift for me even, even when I came to the crossing about eight years ago. Um, 
Do you view your role and your involvement in Christian community as kind of one aspect among many within your life? As if you have church, you have your job, your career, your hobbies, and all these things that kind of orbit your life? Or do you view all aspects of your life through the lens of being lived out through your united identity within a community of faith that God has brought you into? And I think that's a very different place to be, whether it's just one thing that orbits around your life that you juggle amongst others, or does your identity as part of the Christian community really shape in the grid through which you actually view and the lens through which you view all activity of your life? Will we be a people who first and foremost believe deeply that God has bought us and redeemed us into a people in which we're to live out our lives in that context Maybe if you're struggling to, to, to find that community, to find that place, of the things you're looking for, let me just challenge you. Maybe, maybe God could use you to be a part of bringing some of those, those change, some of those gospel elements that you're longing for. Maybe you can be a part and a piece of actually bringing that to your life group. Maybe you long for deeper, more intentional conversation you know, around spiritual things to, to be just regular occurrence in your life group. Maybe you could be the one to ask you know, while you're watching a football game, hey, what's God teaching you? You know, maybe, maybe others, it's, it's, man, I wish we could, we could do more on mission. Maybe it's inviting somebody else over to, to connect with your neighbor. Whatever it may be, whatever you're longing for in community, I'm so struck by that, the passage that we covered in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, gives us this, this uh, golden vision, to do unto others as you would have them do unto us, and it, to, to be the, the, the person that you long to see everyone else be and to see the community drawn together that you, that you want. How can you be a part of creating and helping bring that? It's not merely about the leaders in life group, but it's about all of us as a family coming together to join hands, to, to be and use the gifts that God has given all of us in the diversity of ways to contribute to and create this community that can be a community of light in this city. So we love God. We live in gospel community. And our, our third and final value is that of legacy. When you hear the word legacy, what comes to mind there? Maybe it's an, an enduring impact, some kind of historical significance. Those who have lived before us and have left a mark on the world and on our lives for years to come. Who are those people and even in your life where you think of legacy? You know, one of the things when we think about legacy in a person's life is that it is most often focused on the individual themselves, right? On their accomplishments or their failures and kind of leaves us with a sense of how great a person they were or how bad of a person they may have been. But when we say that we are about legacy and leaving a legacy here at the crossing, we are not pursuing making a name for ourselves. We do not want years to come down the road for people to look back and think back on the crossing and to say, wow, that was a great church. They really did church well. They really hosted some great services. They had an awesome kids ministry or whatever else you may say about a church. What we long for, for this church to be remembered by, is for people to look back and say, wow, that was a people who pointed others to Jesus. They wanted to make Jesus known in the city of Fort Collins and in the world. They wanted to give their lives to that purpose, to that cause. You know, churches can be known for a lot of things. 
You know, great and dynamic worship music, dynamic teaching, you know, phenomenal service activity in the church. And, and, and all of those things are great, are good, things the church shaped by the gospel should be cultivated, should be drawing out or, or practicing activities that the church should dive into that we as a church can, and desire to continue to grow in. But the legacy that we long to leave, first and foremost, is not about us and how good of an organization we can run, but it's about leaving a legacy of committed followers and worshipers of King Jesus. And so we've often said here that all of us will leave a legacy, whether we intend to or not. The question then quickly becomes, what is the legacy that you're living for? What is the greatest endeavor to which you can give your life? Do you actually believe that you were not just saved from something, but that you were actually saved to something? Do we believe that we were not just saved from something, but that we were saved to something, namely to pour out our life in making Jesus known to others? I love the way that Paul speaks of his investment in the people in his ministry throughout his years of traveling around preaching the gospel. To the Thessalonians, he says this, he says, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord? When Jesus comes back, what what is that we're going to boast in? Does Paul say, hey, it's that I, I planted 27 churches. I had this many meetings and gatherings. No, what does he say? He says, is it not you. You, the people in Thessalonica, they they were his joy and his crown of boasting. To the Colossians, he said that it's Jesus that he proclaims, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this is what I toil for, struggling with all of his energy that works in me. What he struggles for, what he longs for, is for people to be grown and mature in Christ. And then what he says to the Galatians, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm just going to, as a side note, kind of recognize that that Paul's a pretty bold dude, taking labor pains and using them to kind of compare his struggles, because I know that uh, I'd love to see the look that I would get from my wife if I ever compare any of my pain to (laughs) childbirth, right? Man, I stubbed my toe, babe. It's like like having given birth to children. (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't work. But Paul, we'll just chalk it up to inspiration, right? That uh, he says... I'm in the anguish of childbirth, the greatest pain and struggle that we can know. And he says, he's in that until Christ is formed in you. Like, have, you ever, have you ever had that kind of desire and just longing to see someone just shaped and, and changed by the gospel? This is, what, this is what Paul is longing for, what he's calling for in all of our lives. What is he going to leave his, leave, live for and leave a legacy for till Christ is formed in these people? So as we seek to live a legacy, we live out this gospel transformation. This transformation of our lives through the gospel takes place and is, and is seen in very tangible ways in which we live in the way that we serve. 
Paul says that we were those that were created for good works. So it's not merely about a message, but it's also how we live. God will, the world will know that we are Jesus' followers by the way we love each other, by the way we serve our community, the way we serve our neighbors. We live out the gospel that has transformed us. But we also proclaim gospel truth. As Peter says, that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him that called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. He doesn't say, we're a chosen people, so that we can kind of cuddle together in our little holy gatherings, isolated from everything else. But He says He's brought us together as this set-apart people for the purpose to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has so radically changed our lives. Do we continue to believe today that the great commission given to Jesus' first 12 disciples still stands over His church today? That all of us together have this calling, this great commission that has been set forth to us to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded And to always remember that Jesus is with us in each and every one of those endeavors. Do we believe this? Is this what we want to give our lives to? Is this what we want to be known for as a church? This time I'm going to invite Don Moore up. Uh, Don has been a man who I've seen over the years here at the crossing, heard his story, been so encouraged and grown to love Don and what God has done to use him in grace in so many ways, and even in this stage and season of their life, to continue to invest well in the kingdom. So, Don, will you please share with us? Thank you, Rich. Legacy. Webster defines it as something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. The interesting thing to note about that is that you can receive a legacy or you can, uh, you, can, you can receive one or you can give one. And it's an ongoing process. Grace and I have been the benefactors of what we see as a life-changing and sustaining legacy associated with a body of people in this building. That may sound a little bit strange, but you see, it all started about 2004. When we came and began to worship with a group of people gathered here called Mountain Range Church. It was a vibrant and spiritually strong church at that time, and I personally found a renewed spiritual engagement after a very long dry spell. Pastor John Lloyd and several men from Mountain Range Church came around me and helped me to find a new passion for Christ and a commitment to serve others in the body. And soon after we came to Mountain Range Church, Pastor John needed to leave and go back to Boston to care for his elderly parents. The college youth pastor Derek Jones left at about the same time to go to seminary. So without a pastor, the church began to lose members, and we were left with a small group 
And we finally found another pastor, but we really struggled. I had become one of three elders in the church, and after a few years, that pastor also left, and we were on our own again. The Conservative Baptist Association installed Leon Christensen as an interim pastor, and two of the other elders also left, and we became an increasingly smaller group. Then about 2010, Leon mentioned to the chairman of the deacon board and I that he had began to meet with a pastor of a small church plant. They met once a week to pray for each other's church. And after some time, um, Leon told us that this other pastor had asked if he would be interested in combining the two churches. That other pastor was Aaron Santini. It wouldn't be easy, and after many meetings and much debate, in 2011, MRC became the crossing, and what a blessing it has begun. It has been. I'm not sure that it was intentional, but if you look at that logo, the legacy of MRC is represented there. Mountain Range Church was an accident, right? (laughs) Lessons learned and a legacy gained from MRC as well as the support of the members here has enabled Grace and I to find a place in the crossing to share our gifts and talents and minister as God has allowed. As we have received a legacy, We hope we are leaving a legacy as we serve the body. God has allowed us to have a house and vehicles we can share. Besides hosting many life groups, we've been in seven over the years. Several of the young people have stayed with us while in transition, and our vehicles have been used to go to conferences and loaned to visiting missionaries and pastors. Now, as we have entered into our golden years, I don't know why they call it that, but... (laughs) It might be assumed that we would decide to slow down and not be so involved. You know, take a break. Take a vacation. But we found that that's an easy out. Certainly, we are finding physical limitations, but we still have a desire to continue to invest in others as opportunities are presented to us. It truly is a greater blessing to give than to receive. So we will continue to build on that legacy as long as God allows. Our prayer is that you may be as richly blessed by the legacy of the crossing as we have been and that legacy will continue stronger as we all seek to serve him who gave himself to save us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Don. Now, if you didn't know the story, 
how this, how we came to, to be at this building and all. It's an awesome story. And Don or one of us would love to be able to, to share, share that story with you of just God's provision. To see the legacy of another church who said we, they didn't want to see this property just become another gas station, but to continue to be an outpost for God's kingdom. And so God has been continuing to do that work here through this church. And every church has its lifespan, has, has its season. And the crossing one day, the sun will set on, on us. And so the question is, what are we leaving behind? Is it a legacy of just committed, sold-out followers of Jesus who recognized how much we've been given. So no matter your season of life, your schedule, all the challenges that life brings, how are you living to leave a legacy of gospel impact in others? It's going to look different across the lives in this room. It's not all the same. We're in different seasons, different availability, different capacity, different passions, different influence. But what are you investing your life in? Maybe you need to step out, get a journey group starting, started in your life group, and just start reading the Bible with someone. Maybe you should consider carving out some time to maybe invest in the Porterbrook program here. Maybe. Maybe you just need to start engaging relationally with your coworkers more and looking for gospel opportunities where you live, work, and play, as we say. Maybe you just need to be more intentional at home with your kids to remind them of the glories of Jesus. Maybe it's caring for and serving your neighbor who's just in a tough place. What does it look like in your life to leave a legacy of gospel impact in this world? Those are our three values, our three commitments, the things that we never want to lose sight of to love God above all else and to love others because of that love that has been shown to us, to to, to live in gospel community that we've been brought into and to leave a legacy of followers of Jesus. So maybe you're new to the crossing and you're just just trying to get a feel for who we are and what we're about. And here's a brief brief taste, a brief unpacking. Maybe you've been around for a while and you, you just have missed it. Maybe you've been here for a long time and you've just kind of lost that vision. This is what we always want to call ourselves back to, to see, and to be reminded of. And so do these rhythms identify with you? Do these values resonate deep inside of you? We long this, for this to be a church that embodies these things, these values and commitments regularly, so that people walk in here for the first time when they, they encounter us scattered throughout this city that they say, wow, that's a people who genuinely love God. They have a vibrant commitment to each other in community. And they want to leave something much bigger than themselves behind. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard is from uh, this French author, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. No idea if that's how you pronounce his name. Probably not. But it's all I got. But a According, uh, he's been credited with these words, where he says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. That's always struck me as a pastor. The last thing that I want to do is merely gather all of you to volunteer for watching kids clean up the yard, to host a a, a gathering, 
to go to this event or show up at this event. All those things are good and, and, and I think needed. But I don't, don't want to just call you to do that. Like, like we've been given something much bigger. I want us all to be caught up and, and to be struck with the grand immensity of the redemptive story that has been laid out before us that we have been ushered into. As we see this, this missional God, this God who is on a mission throughout history to redeem a fallen and broken and alienated people, to unite them back to himself. As he has created and saved each of us and brought us together, he has brought us into this grand story and given us something far greater than our highest aspirations, what we long to, to be and to create. We've been given something far greater, a vision that's far greater than what we could find on our own. And that's what I long for us to see, to see in Scripture a God who has called us into this. Where we realize that we could be a people, we could be individuals, we could be a church that has a, a, a massive part in what God is doing in this world. And I'll end with one other quote that I love from C.S. Lewis. Never read the book, but I heard the quote a while back, um, a while ago. I should read the book. It's from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. He says this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Loving anything, love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So will we be a people who steps into that vulnerable place to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of our doubts, all of our confusion, to cast it all on Him, to say that He is totally worth it, to let that love that we have been shown flow in the way we love each other, as difficult as it can be, as hard as it can be to, to put ourselves out there, as, as Jordana testified to, to love others, knowing that God loves us ultimately. Will we step into that place to live in community together, to let ourselves be known, to know others, to care for each other in the messiness of life, to be open about our struggles and our challenges, to celebrate with others and invite them in to see the joy of Jesus? And we will we be a people who steps into that vulnerable place to sell everything for that pearl of great price, to leave a legacy of Jesus being made known in this world. That's what we long to be as a people. That's what we long to be as a church. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and His people. To love God, to live in gospel community, and to leave a legacy of committed worshipers of King Jesus. So let us pray to the God who can empower us and help us in this calling together. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for what you've done to create this, this people, to hear the testimonies of your work in, in individuals' lives, to captivate some with just a, just a love for you 
that challenges us to love others, for those who can experience the joy of connecting with others to not just live on our own as a lone ranger, but to invest our lives in others and to leave a legacy, to hear what you've done even in this building, in this property over the years of those who have longed to continue to preach the gospel. And I pray that this place would continue from years to come to be a place where your name is proclaimed and made great. So we ask for you to continue to work in us as a broken and fallen people. Empower us through your spirit to love you above all things. And let us anticipate you doing amazing things through us because you are the God that can do far more than we can even ask or think. And it's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.